In order for shame to be rendered powerless in our lives, we must be witness. We must be seen. Your gifting is going to seem like things that are just very obvious. They're going to seem like, well, everybody can be this welcoming. But everybody can see that moment where I just saw. We're going to feel like anybody could do it. And that's what makes it your gifting. Watch how people avoid the face of somebody in need or asking who makes you uncomfortable. Every one of those faces reveal God. We have to remember our past and recount the things that God has done for us. And then that gives us faith to keep going to where he wants us to be. Guys, welcome back to the Ansons podcast. I'm Sam. And I am Blaine. And today we are trying something we've never done before because of the way the world is right now. We're recording from three different locations with handheld devices. So bear with the experiment, but we have familiar voices on the show today. Our friends, Scott and Mandy, the fabled Hebrew scholars. Guys, thanks for coming on the show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for having us. We're excited to be meeting with you, even if it is remotely. Thank you for the uh, scholarly shout out, but uh, I think I'm going to downgrade it to nerds. (laughs) Hebrew nerds it is then. So this originated when you sent us an email saying, hey, random thought, wondered if you guys would be interesting in diving into what it means to take shelter under the shadow of the Most High God right now. Anyway, see you later. And we went, uh, (laughs) yes, (laughs) we would indeed be interested in that. So what had you thinking about this aside from the obvious of the places that you could go uh, with your Old Testament knowledge? How did this come up? I think for me, you know, I've had historic struggles with fear and I know that Psalm 91 has been one of the really strong anchor points for me. When anxiety pounces at 2 a.m., when fear sticks its head around the corner in the middle of the day. And so in a stable world, this is a gem of a passage of scripture to hold on to. Hmm. In an unstable world, it just flies to the surface, launches into the sky, and is flashing lights. Hey, grab hold of me. I've got something for you. And so it's been a help. We've actually been praying through Psalm 91 quite regularly during these last few weeks in particular. Hmm. Yeah, that's how I'd respond to that. I think it's one of the uh, best responses I've heard since the whole coronavirus thing happened was to pray Psalm 91. And one of the things they highlighted was the part where it says no plague will come near your tent. And so that's the part that Manny and I have been claiming over our lives, over our property, over the buildings, the land is just claiming that truth that if we stay in God, nothing can come near us. Hmm. You guys, this Psalm actually came up two times already for me since our email, as people are finding themselves in the midst of a very, fear-inducing, stressful, confusing moment in time. And people are drawn to different pieces. I've heard a lot of like under shelter of the wing. And can we actually just have you guys read it as we then go where you guys want to take us and where you think the Holy Spirit's leading for this particular moment in time? Sounds great. Yeah, I'll read it. I'm going to read from the ESV, which is not any more important than a different translation, but ultimately we'll go back to some of the real powerful words in Hebrew in the passage anyway. So here we go, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to Yahweh, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, 
nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made Yahweh your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, says Yahweh, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Hmm. I'm in. Yeah, it's so good. Great in English. Where would you guys start? Let's dive in to unpacking the psalm. I think the place I would start, Blaine, is with what's getting translated God Almighty in the verse one. So in Hebrew, it's the word Shaddai or El Shaddai. And scholars are wrestling with what is the root. Some believe the root is Shaddad, which means to destroy, which is why it gets translated God Almighty. And others believe the root is Shad, which means breast. As so often with scripture, to decide how a person should translate a word, one has to look at the context. And in this particular instance, I think both are legitimate options. So I'm not recommending one over the other, except for the particular context of this psalm, which is a very feminine metaphor. Uh, You've got covering Mm. of the feathers and other things going throughout the passage And so I believe in this one, a person should probably translate it the God of breasts or the nurturing one. It's speaking to nurture. So there's this nurturing aspect that comes through throughout the psalm. And now that we have that piece on the table, we'll unpack some other pieces that will then support that or help it make a little bit more sense. But just an initial reaction to that before we move on, I guess one one other piece is that the concordant literal version translates it the one who is sufficient or the one who satisfies, which I think also speaks to this uh, nurturing aspect of God. So just some reactions from any of us before we go a little bit deeper into that. Yeah, personally, I don't know why I've always done this, but I've... I've always personified God as sort of like a mama hen in this psalm. And I hear like feathers and under the wings. I haven't thought of like majestic eagle. Like I think of other animals that do that and like the little chicks running under that. At that point, God is fairly abundant, but fluffy and kind of goofy and oddly proportioned, though like definitely comforting. And there have been moments where I've been like, I for sure. And like a baby chick, let me tuck in somewhere. Like I need to hide from whatever it is. I don't know if that feels sacrilegious or appropriate. Cause like, I think we also have that tension with the feminine nurturing words. Like it would make more sense to me if you're like, God is a war Eagle and you are welcome to hang out under his wing for about 30 seconds. And then you got to get back out there to war. You know, like somehow that feels more. Okay. Am I alone in that? Well, I love that you brought it up, Sam, because that first line in the first verse, the one who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, actually sets a little bit of the context that this, if you want to take the bird metaphor, this is way up high. We are being brought up to a place that, quite frankly, a hen can't access, so to speak. And so it's... I don't know if that's just adding to the conversation of what you said. I think often, yeah, we do just kind of think of that gentle 
pen metaphor, but some of the mm-hmm. words that are going to come up later in this passage about the faithfulness, about ferocity, this intense covering, it's very powerful in its force. So mm-hmm. I don't think you're alone in that. What's cool is that the passage actually has some other words in it that are going to take that feminine metaphor and add some real strength in a different way might be a good way of phrasing that. One of the pictures that comes to mind for me is Mama Bear, because (laughs) there's clearly a feminine aspect to it, but a Mama Bear is going to kick some serious butt too if her young are threatened. One of the things that it does for me is recast fear. And even right now, we could say, you know, what people are mostly afraid of is dying. But that doesn't seem to be it at all in terms of the items that people are choosing to hoard, like toilet paper, where you go, wow, this really does have more to do or as much to do with being cared for, having plenty. And it reminds me of Sam and I had a conversation once that in some language groups, hunger is just a phrase for fear that you've been abandoned. And it kind of, in the beginning of the psalm, like an opportunity to look at my own heart and for our listeners too and go, what is the fear exactly? Is it mostly that people you know will depart this earth? Or what about this dimension of sustaining care that you are afraid that suddenly you won't get? It feels like it wouldn't be the first fear. And yet Hmm. right there in the initial promise is kind of this suggestion that there could be more. Well, I love about the mama bear thing too, is it's the both and like it's the nurturing you will be taken care of and there's ferocity. Like I've seen people be called a mama hen, but it isn't ferocious. It, it is very nurturing. It is also vulnerable and there are times when that's okay. But at this moment, like yeah, it's fear of death. It's fear of having enough. It's worlds crumbling for people, whether that's finances or occupations or any number of things. And so the both and feels appropriate. Like I want the ferocity and I want to be told there will be enough. Mm -hmm. I think some of the ferocity comes from these definitive words, right? No evil shall befall you. (laughs) No plague come near your tent. Uh, Just these very strong assertions. He will command his angels concerning you. It's this aggressive, assertive, powerful taking of a stance. And yeah, I think you're right. That both and is is important in here. Sometimes here's a little bit of a confession. You know, I'm a pretty high energy person, can get wound up a little bit more easily than Scott, who's a more relaxed, uh, sometimes I would say perhaps more stable person in his just easygoing temperament. And there's this hold me, hold me, hold me thing that will happen at times where I'll go to him and can you just hold me? I just need to be held. I need to be contained by something that can help me stabilize. And I see that in this El Shaddai metaphor, if we want to go the direction of the nourishing one. I mean, when a child latches on to breastfeed, as you both know, because you've seen it with your wives and kids, there's a very strong connection. And that child need only relax and posture themselves to receive what it is they need. And I think what's happening in the world right now, the invitation is, can we take a deep breath and posture ourselves to receive what God is going to give us? Because what he will give us is what we need, both internally and then I believe externally as well. You know, um, Mandy's Mm -hmm. bringing up that uh, nurturing between mother and child And in verse 14, it says, because he holds fast to me in love, that word in Hebrew that's getting translated holds fast also means attach. So he who attaches to me in love, I will deliver him. And and of course, the obvious connection there is a baby attaching to a breast and to the nurture, staying connected. And so if, if we are anxious, fearful, and stressed, I think it would be fair to say that we probably on some level are not connected to God Hmm. in that moment. I mean, I think it's why Jesus is constantly hammering on remain in me, 
I am the vine, you are the branch, like this connection thing, staying connected. Yeah, that is a potent assertion that in your fear, that is probably revealing somewhere that I'm not living in God. And yet we like have the other wonderful piece about (laughs) repenting is wonderful and go, Blaine, there's no condemnation in that. There's actually an opportunity to change in your life to be better. But so go, yes, you are probably not resourcing that part of your life in God or dwelling. And you could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good season to throw off shame as quickly as possible. When we find ourselves not attaching in the ways that we theoretically or intellectually know we ought to, because I know for me, I've had to do that a ton. Just wait a minute, Mandy, don't condemn yourself. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Repent, own what you need to, break the agreements with fear or feeling like there won't be enough and turn back and attach. And I might have to do that many times a day, but that shame is only going to make things worse in the feeling of isolation or not being adequate enough to walk through something like what's being presented to all of us right now. Hmm. So good. Let's keep going. What else in here? I was thinking that one of the parts of verse four, his faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Hmm. Uh, That word for faithfulness is essentially at the root where we get the word amen to confirm Hmm. or to support. And it's speaking of faithfulness, firmness, truth, So literally, the truth of God is going to be our shield. We were dialoguing with some friends digitally last night and doing some study. And one of the questions we asked was, what are the truths you're holding on to right now? What are the scripturally rooted truths that you're holding on to? And suddenly, all these people were sharing these verses. And we had all these lifelines, kind of like a Spider-Man web launching out to all of us in all these directions at once. We had so many lifelines we could hold on to because they were all naming ways that we confirm, we support, we lay hold of the truth of Jesus, who he is and what he says he will bring. And I think that just saying that that's our shield in times like this, that's what holds us steady and protects us and that we can offer our shields to each other because as each one of those people held up their shield, it's like we made one big circle facing outward of protecting each other by offering our truths. Wow. What are those words exactly too? Because my NIV here says shield and rampart. You had buckler. Yeah. So the shield is speaking literally. It's kind of quirky, but it's getting at the idea of a shield or almost like a hook or a barb protecting around. And then buckler is actually that which goes around or about and is more the shield that you'd put your arm through perhaps and hold up. So I get the image when you put them together of this edgy protection that your arm just might be locked into as a form of protection for you and those around you. So I I suppose a question we could ask all four of us is what is a truth that is a shield for you right now? Hmm. Yeah, I'll go. I don't know if I've mentioned it before in the podcast, but when we have been in past brutal seasons, this first came up several years ago when we walked through our miscarriage, I ended up writing on our blackboard, there was only one story. And like, we couldn't write down anything else. There wasn't, a verse wasn't helpful. A truth of God that could just get lost in a platitude wasn't helpful. We needed to be reminded, like, there's only one story. And that is the, the story that Jesus is telling. That's the story that we are finding ourselves in the midst of. We are moving in a particular direction. And just those few words, there is only one story. All five of them were that lifeline for us, were that truth of like, the world is full of stories right now. The world is full of despair, fear. We've been obsessed with the apocalypse as a culture for the last 30 years, if not millennia. But particularly the last 30 years, it's been like, ooh, when are we all going to get eaten by zombies? And surely I'm not the one who's going to die. And now that there's something truly unique and catastrophic, the news is full of a story. The world is full of a story. Finances are full of a story. I'm like, I personally want to be just reminding myself, like, there's actually only one true story and only one true interpretation that I want to hold on to. I'm so with you, Sam. 
there are a couple of places I've gone. And one of them is Ephesians 1 in terms of the story has not changed. What is the heart of the father like? It's to restore all things through Jesus and the profound significance of that. And the other place that I've gone is the sovereignty of God, wanting to be careful about basically not giving any spot in my worship to coronavirus and like go, oh, it's very significant. But I've been in Job 38 and actually put this passage on my computer, which is this, have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light and where does darkness reside? And just this manifesto in the power of God in all things and the fact that he knows where the gates of death are and the abode of utter darkness. And I don't even know what those mean. And so just this, oh my gosh, you're, you are extensively mighty. Mm. What about you guys? I was going to say this Psalm helped me a ton when I was entering my addiction recovery. So in verse one, when it says shelter, another way that that could be translated is secret or secret place, like hiding place. And as I entered recovery around sexual addiction, I had to realize that I have been going to certain secret places and I had to go to a new secret place. I had been nurturing on things that were destroying me and I had to nurture somewhere else. So like I still had to get the nurture. I just had to get it in the right place. And of course that has applied to not only addiction for me, but many, many other aspects where if I'm living, you know, one of the other words there in verse one, abide also means lodge or live there. So if I'm living in the news, it's hard for me to nurture. But if I'm living in nurture, I'm going to get much more of what I need. So that those are some truths and some examples from my own life of how, the, how this psalm has been a shield for me. Hmm. For me, something that's been really sustaining has been already having that relationship of walking with God and hearing him speak and trusting some of the words that he's given me, especially in recent weeks. Just before this whole coronavirus thing went really big here in the United States, I was out for a walk in the woods and felt like God said to me, would you please lay down your lenses of fear? And the fear I was experiencing in that moment wasn't even around the coronavirus. It was something else. And he just said, could you let go of fear and choose a lens of anticipation Mm. around what I might do in any given situation? Mm. And so I came home and I wrote it on the bathroom mirror and it's still up there. Just let go of the lens of fear. Choose anticipation. Mm. And that's been so good because going back to Psalm 91, there's this promise This is Yahweh speaking. When a person calls to me, I will answer them. Hmm. I will be with them in trouble. That word trouble in Hebrew means distress. And if you go to the very root of it, it literally means to bind, tie up, be restricted, narrow, scant, or cramped. Oof. So when any of us feel bound up, restricted, cramped, internally or externally, we have this promise that if we call out to God, God is going to be with us and answer us. And that can mean speaking to us on a walk in the woods or sitting, eating cold cereal in the kitchen. Yeah, I love the multi-layered promises in there. That's helpful to me. That's so good. I do want you guys to take us into verse five, because like the fear, it feels like the fear is only increasing the fear, the speculation, the, because of where we are in the world, we're just at a later stage of this thing unfolding. And there's been a lot of new changes and 
There's been a lot of time for speculation and for feeling cramped and limited and not sure what comes next. And five through six, as we're talking about fear and terror and true danger and pestilence, it's like, yeah, that feels that feels pretty uh, pretty timely, pretty appropriate. This is no longer a metaphor. Yeah, verse five, as you pointed out, has the word fear and terror in it, which I think is an intensification in one sense. And I think what even intensifies it more too is it brings up the word night. I don't know if you've had this experience or not, but it seems like the night has the ability to intensify things or even clarify things, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. And that verse also talks about the day. So it's so interesting that there's a contrast here between night and day. There's some really intense things Mm. happening at the night. And then the daytime, we can actually see the arrow coming at us, which is kind of interesting. Right. And destruction waiting for us. Yeah. And probably even destruction at close range too, because (sighs) an arrow can't be super far away. So thoughts on the day and the night and the contrast there and enemies that are seen and enemies that are unseen. Mm, I think it's why I've named speculation a few times. Night for me is often the temptation just to go down all those rabbit trails. Like, I don't know how many times before trying to go to sleep I've, I've lost hours because I've sat there and speculated and let things tumble out of proportion, out of control and felt fear begin it feels like an invitation. Like, are you going to go here? And when I say yes, it just comes rushing in. It's like, oh, now you're, now you're here. And now we're going to be doing this thing for a little while. Mm. And it's not exactly a metaphor. Like with the day, there's been that shift away from speculation. Personally, day is clarifying. And yet it may not be that the thing you were afraid of isn't real. You might just be able to see its face finally. So that, that piece for me is like, yeah, there's so many metaphors and so many illusions. This is one that it's like, no, 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 this is, this is a playbook. This is direct experience over the course of 24 hours. Yeah. And I think too, what's interesting is that our government leaders have been calling it an unseen enemy and This addresses it right here in verse five of how, you know, even things that are happening at night that we can't see, we're protected against that too. Hmm. So significant. That's funny. I always wondered with this Psalm, if one thing was intended by terror of the night, if that was something that I should learn and identify like a bear is the terror of the night. Everybody knows that. But the fear of what you can't see and uncertainty and things that remain hidden and unknown. It just becomes so significant when, as you were saying, Sam, we don't have one unknown right now. We have as many unknowns as we would like to embrace. Hmm. What about my cousin? What about my other cousin? What about my grandma? What about my other grandma? What about my job? What about, what about, what about? Oh, this is so good. I actually remember, this is drawing me back to a writing class I took back in high school. And they were trying to teach us that it's a more powerful form of fear to get the reader or your audience to imagine it themselves, to have it just be a little bit vague and ominous. And therefore we get to project into it our darkest thing. Whereas sunlight, a guy coming at you with scissors for hands, Eh, not that scary, but something ominous at like just past your peripheral vision is a lot more effective. And I hadn't hadn't thought about that. Like the world is aware of that. The world knows that is a phenomenally effective use of fear. Mm. Yeah. I love this conversation because this passage is addressing many kinds as we've already identified. There's like terror of night. There's terror of pestilence whatever that is, or plague, then there's this military sense that's going on in there. Like there might be a real threat externally because we get this thing about people falling at your side. And then we come to the end and we're told the angels will bury you up. And this is really interesting. Verses 11, 12, 13, they're going to bury you up so that you don't strike your foot against a stone. Well, 
in the context of when this was written and who it was speaking to in its original time period, we've got people walking on hills, right? Across shrubs and rocks. And there are real lions, different kinds. There are actually multiple words in Hebrew for the different variations of lion, as we have in English as well. Hmm. Different types of snakes. They're going to come and lift you up as you're trying to find your way across the hills of Judah or wherever it may be so that you don't get tripped up. Uh, You're going to have what you need to take authority over those things that would otherwise want to take you out. So I just want to mention that there's the unseen and the seen, the day and the night. Sam, back to what you were saying about so many what ifs, what ifs, and we just project into it. It's like this psalm is covering all of that. You don't have to be afraid of any of it. The things you would encounter on your natural walk across the hill in Judah, in the natural world, the things that would trip you up that are inanimate, the enemies in the natural uh, by way of humans, and then the enemies by way of things like viruses. So Hmm. That piece of the normal, it's such a significant contrast with, oh, sure, you do not need to fear the unknown, but you also don't need to fear things that it would be very tempting to fear under the guise of prudence, but really you're making an agreement with darkness and you're like, well, I will run into lions. Any reasonable person would be nervous about lions and go, no, 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 dwell in the shelter. You don't have to. And well, I am concerned about getting infected in the grocery store. Anybody would be. This actually applies to things that are everyday occurrences, not just things that won't happen. Yeah. I'm intrigued, side note, by this lion thing, because verse 13 I have, you will tread on the lion and the cobra, you will trample the great lion and the serpent. Are those different kinds of lions? Yes. Well, they're all getting at the same concept of lion, but it is a different word in Hebrew. And that first one, uh, then for snake that's listed is the adder or the cobra. And then when you come down in the second part of verse 13, it's one that literally gets translated in different contexts, the serpent, the dragon, the sea monster. So I don't want to go too far oh, on is it. I'm sorry. These feel like very different. <laughs> is it the one that's Leviathan? You can tell me. Yep, that's right, Blaine. What is it? Tanin? Is that that word? That's the one Hebrew word that Blaine knows. Uh, I also know. No, that is. <laughs> Tov. Tov. You know Tov. <laughs> I do want to come back to that piece of the locking in the shield because that feels really important. And like where, you are, where your eyes are, the piece of the nourisher and the ferocity, like they're huge. These pieces here in nine and 10, even just that no plague come near your tent, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. Like, I think I read those words and I feel some skepticism, if I'm honest. I kind of go, that's like a, but if not type of thing, right? Like this is the, I do trust in you and you have delivered and you will protect. And even if you don't type thing, right? Help me out of my skepticism if I need to be helped out of my skepticism. And if I am correct in my skepticism, dear God, help me for the rest of my life. (laughs) I think for me, Sam, something that I'm asking myself is what is the real plague right now? Mm. Or what is one of the biggest threats? And for me personally, it's fear. It's actually not the coronavirus. Now, I'm not saying that the coronavirus is not causing legitimate harm because it is. And we do pray over our domains. And sometimes the neighbors have probably seen me walking around with anointing oil (laughs) on the borders of our property and thinking, what is she doing? Okay. Must be Tuesday morning. Exactly. (laughs) There are times I feel like the Holy Spirit has nudged me to do that. Just walk the perimeter, march the perimeter and proclaim truth. But whether or not we get the coronavirus, at the end of the day, what I'm being brought back to is standing in what's true. And that is, we know Abraham was asked to sacrifice Isaac in Genesis 22. But in the New Testament, we are told Abraham knew that God had the power to raise him from the dead. Mm. And what does it mean to have the kind of faith where whether God takes me now or later, uh, whether he allows me to die now or later, like... We are not as those who have no hope. 
there is a resurrection and I know the other side. And so I don't know if I'm fully addressing what you mentioned, Sam, but I'm really having to ask what, what are the true threats right now? And then how do I stand in truth? No, Mandy, I think it's really good because it would be easy to interpret this as we are supposed to be protected from literal viruses of every kind. And they look around and go like, that's just not the state of the world. Like the state of the world is there's cancer and there's viruses and there's degenerative diseases. And we're clearly not avoiding all of these. These have gotten much closer than just the tent. And that reorientation of like, what is the actual piece and and where are you focused is really appropriate. This might help a little bit. Uh, In verse 10 there, Sam, the word evil is uh, the word Ra. Maybe you've heard of the god of Ra from Egypt, kind of the same type of thing. I remember the song from the, uh, the DreamWorks movie. You got it. Yeah, yeah. So Tov, as we've talked about, is this never-ending life. Ra is the opposite. It blocks life. And mm-hmm. so no blocking will befall you. Now, we might interpret evil as... I'm not going to get the coronavirus, whereas even if I do, I'm not going to be blocked. My tove, my goodness, my, the inherent breath of God in me bringing <laughs> forth life to the world, that does not get to be blocked. Like I'm going to go forward in God. My life can still be impactful on the world, can even have a ton of life to it, even if coronavirus were to come into my life. So for whatever that's worth, I think it's a great point, Sam, that like we have to face the reality that some people are getting it. And so what do these scriptures mean in light of that? Great question. That is a wonderful, quirky Scott Marin move of, well, you know, the ultimate goodness where you carry God's life-bringing power can't be taken away. So whatever that's worth. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, I thought, whatever it's, that's it's worth for you. It's certainly worth something. <laughs> um, but it, like, it, is, it is the answer. It's, an, mm. it's just another place to go. What is the real fear? And we were riffing on this last week with what is the real fear? Because is it dying? Well, what do you do with your mortality in that case? That's not a question. And so... Remember reading where this theologian pointed out the promise of Jesus is not principally immortality, it's resurrection and the gift of eternal life. Wow, there are really are deeper issues here of framing evil as just blocking the stopping of life is incredible and so applies to right now where it is the blocking. It's the literally... People can't go do their thing, and therefore the economy crumbles. And what you were hoping for in terms of the next season is gone, stopped effectively. And simply to go, well, maybe for a while, but that cannot happen to me. That is remarkable. I like what you're saying about death to Blaine. Like Paul said, to die is gain. So... Paul and other people that die are not necessarily being blocked. Like if someone did die from coronavirus, like there can be amazing beauty that comes out of that, as we've seen from martyrs, for example. I suppose it's really a matter of perspective. Can we see what God Mm -hmm. is doing in maybe a physical circumstance that we don't like? instead of letting the physical circumstance be the end conclusion of, oh, I lost because I died. I have a thought too on what you were saying, Blaine. You know, the more I've been able to attach to God and hold on, the more downloads, so to speak, I've been getting day and night ideas of how to reach out to people, how to stay connected with people, how to bring encouragement to people. I went from truly having a fear of not having enough toilet paper, which is embarrassing to admit, but there it is. And went from that place to like, I was up at about 3 a.m. this morning and God was giving me ideas. Mandy, why don't you 
send cards to people? Or why don't you come up with fun little games for the kids you love and send them videos where they have clues and they have to solve things? Or why don't you pick a Bible verse and talk to the kids in your life about, hey, I'm going to try and draw a picture about what I think it means to me. Will you draw a picture? And then let's FaceTime and share our pictures with each other. We had some good friends who said they're planning video lunch dates with their friends. We're thinking about who do we know in our world who maybe has to do more isolation than other folks at this time. And how can we schedule conversations with them? So I've actually found the more I attach to God in love, the more that life that produces life, that produces life. God's just bringing all kinds of ideas. And I'm sure the ones I threw out there probably aren't original to me, but it's so encouraging. I actually wake up with so much energy now. Who can we bless? Who can we connect with? Jesus, who do you want us to reach out to today? What other creative ideas do you have? And suddenly Mm. what once felt very oppressive now feels very hopeful. It's so good. Yeah, that, that it's that anticipation piece again for you, right? Like that's, that's huge. I want to ask about a couple of things in the final verses of the psalm that relate to the promises God makes. One is, he will call on me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Some parts of that seem obvious. <laughs> With long life, I will satisfy him. Oh, that would be good. But I'm wondering about these two. What does it mean for God to honor you? And what does it mean for God to show you his salvation? Oh, Blaine, this is a gold mine. I'm so glad you asked. You want honor or salvation? I would, uh, you pick. Go ahead with uh, honor. Okay, so the word for honor in Hebrew is meaning weightiness. We are going to have like weightiness. The glory of God is kabed, this word. So the glory of God is literally weighty. It has gravity to it. So when people say glory to God, it's like saying you are weighty. Hmm. So when we are promised, like I will honor you, I hear that as there is going to be weightiness to your life. There's going to be weightiness. It's going to have purpose and meaning. Sam, back to what you said about there is only one story. We get to play a weighty part in that story for whatever invitations God puts before us. And then I also just want to take on with long life, I will satisfy him. That long life could be translated lengthened days or essentially getting into this idea of what does it even mean to have a day that's rich and got, again, weightiness and gravity to it. It's substantial. I don't have to live to be 105 to have weightiness to my life and have, quote unquote, lengthened days. And that satisfaction quickly is to connect that to all the nurturing we've been talking about as that one translation translate El Shaddai, the CLV is uh, the one uh, who suffices. So there's some more of this satisfaction, nurturing going on here right at the, in the last verse. And then to your question, Blaine, about salvation. So the word in Hebrew is Yeshua. I will show him my Yeshua. And if you've never, <laughs> okay, Blaine, do you want to? Nope. I want you to talk about it because I'm just stoked. <laughs> yeah. So if you've never heard of the name of Jesus before, if the listeners never heard of the name of Jesus in Hebrew, it's Yeshua. And so essentially the psalm is ending with, I will show you salvation or I will show you Jesus. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> Come on. Oh, that is, I've somehow experienced that as positively foreboding, but it's intense of, I will show you Jesus. And that is the answer. Yeah. My last question for everybody is dwelling. What is helping you guys all make the most high your dwelling place instead of the news or any other thing? 
like practically shape your day tactical yeah i guess if i if i'm checking news morning afternoon and evening that's probably where i'm gonna live which of course is what is being said in the first verse of this psalm like where do you abide where do you lodge where do you live and there's lots of shadows we can live in. In verse 1, we're supposed to live in the shadow of nurture. David in Psalm 23 talked about living in the shadow of death. And, and the opportunity here is to live in the shadow of nurture instead of the shadow of fear. So I've got to manage how much I'm going in and out of news. Because every time I go in, I have to battle how much... I'm, I'm living in the shadow of fear versus living in the shadow of the nurture that God offers and the protection. Yeah, totally. What about you, Sam and Suze? Oh, okay. So for us in our house, I think it's interesting that this really shifted for us in Lent. So we actually had some rhythms in place already that we've been doing, which is not my normal. I'm the guy who's like, yeah, I'm not giving up anything. I'm, I'm giving up feeling bad about not giving up anything. So leave me alone. That's what I normally do. But we've been actually reading through the Psalms, Susie and I, and just been very aware of like the cycles of like despair, fear, and then being rescued. And so for us, it does feel like as we're getting a little bit more insular and choosing not to look at the news, choosing to pursue joy, we were struck that uh, one of our words for this year is wholehearted. And so how are we meant to live wholehearted in this season where I'm not rationing my heart? I'm, I'm not hoarding my emotions. I'm not hoarding my presence as well for like some future moment that I'm meant to walk fully present, wholehearted in this. And that's been, that's been an invitation that sort of you, you can only can do if you are going to be taken care of. Wow. So good. Em and I discovered that we would start off the mornings with hope and expectation for Jesus to be revealed. And then over the course of the day, the weight of living under everyone else's anxiety, an atmosphere of anxiety would just bear down so that we would get to four and feel completely depleted and just sort of begin sliding off into this lackluster, just get me to the end of the day. Let me go to sleep. So really simple. Mm -hmm. We were like, okay, if that's what's happening, then we're going to institute an afternoon rhythm four o'clock where we intentionally and ferociously worship and then pray and have this time that is mm. like taking hold of the rest of the day unto the centrality of Jesus. And it is actually really helpful. It's an incredible return on investment for two worship songs mm. and some prayer. <laughs> you know, Blaine, that reminds me also that there is a man named Lou Engel. Some of your listeners might be familiar with him. Two years ago, he felt led to call a 40 day fast right now, actually during this time, we're about in the middle of it. And of course he didn't know what was going to be happening at this time amazing man of God. And it's called the Jesus fast. And we've been getting these devotionals. And so we've been purposing to start our mornings together. We're just uniting with the international body of Christ in some of the words that are coming out through that devotional. And then we've started compiling a list of friends, family, neighbors, allies that we really want to be praying for. And so we spend our day uniting with God, Sometimes we add the pause app and do that, worship songs. And I realize not everybody has the exact same situation, right? If you have little kids popping up at 6 a.m., it's going to be harder to start spaciously with something like that. But I love that you said what you and M have come up with is helping, and that's just so brilliant. What a great idea. So mm -hmm. it can look different, but if I'm giving my attention to anything but Jesus first, before I even get my feet out of bed, I'm not, I'm not going to have my sea legs about me for the waves that are going on right now. I need to get my sea legs grounded. Then mm. I can step into what's out there and then wash off what needs washing off and finding the breaks after that. So, Blaine, I like what you're saying about 
you kind of feel a decline over the day. I think I've felt that as well. And part of, I think, what we've been talking about here today is what is the actual fear? What's interesting is because of this, you know, I feel like I don't have as much to do. And I feel like the way I'm feeling pulled to react or sometimes do react is with apathy. And this isn't really a time for apathy. This is a time for engaging on a different way and engaging in ways that aren't filled with fear. And so as we've been talking about what is this fear or what is the actual enemy, what's beneath coronavirus, I wonder if one of the enemies below it is either apathy or a a pull to like give up or give in or whatever it is. But I have felt similar things and I thought it would be worth pointing that out uh, as we're trying to figure out like, what is this fear? What is this thing that's actually going on underneath the coronavirus? Hmm. Scott and Manny, this has been such a good conversation and so needed for this moment. I wonder where you want to leave the listener who's having a hard time identifying that fear feels really valid, feels really justified, feels hard to press out of. Um, out of all of the the richness of Psalm 91, what do you want to point them back to having listened to this whole episode? Mm. I think I would just go to the awareness that we have, we have a place where we can go for what it is we most need. And that is, it, it sounds intangible, but just honestly, straight to God. I have found it hard to get in scripture these days, which is weird because that's such a part of my life. But to push through it and go, okay, God, just one passage, one verse, one word. What is the manna for today? Because you are Jehovah Jireh. You promise that you are the one who provides. You are El Shaddai. You are the sustaining one. You are Yeshua, salvation, deliverance. We are not alone. We're not alone. We have an ever-flowing source of life and we can go there. And it, mm-hmm. even for us, it's hard to get there these days, but mm-hmm. it's worth it to push through and find that one fresh piece of manna for the day. Mm-hmm. I would say in one sense, it's easy to live in fear. It's harder to not. So I would encourage all of us, including myself, can I maintain belief in God and belief that he's good, even if circumstances don't always confirm it. And so I would encourage all of us to sit with Psalm 91 and meditate on it and keep asking God to help us believe the promises that are in here. 